Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Nathan, you've been on a program uh, checking out the new Acura ZDX. Yes, and it has nothing to do, really, with your former favorite vehicle, the old ZDX. Well, it wasn't electric, the old one. Uh, no, it wasn't at all. It had a V6 <laughs> and, and whatnot. It shouldn't, yeah. I, I, you're right. I did have a soft spot for the ZDX and the Honda version of it. Mm. Uh, I just thought it was, like, pretty cool, except that you didn't actually have to, like, fit in the back <laughs> to enjoy it because it had the worst backseat. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you, headless people, perfect. Otherwise, yeah, not precisely. So yeah. But it was it was cool looking from the outside. This ZDX really has nothing to do with it, other than the fact that it's slotted between the RDX and the MDX. Nothing else in common. And this one is all electric. Yeah, and it's based on the it's based on the Chevy product. Well, it, it's got the Ultium platform, so it's a 102-kilowatt-hour battery in it, and it's super powerful, especially the top-of-the-line one's 500 horsepower. But in terms of what it has, it has a lot of components that are shared with GM products. That's And it's also built on the same line in Spring Hill as the Lyric. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up, not because I want to talk about it uh, in this podcast, but because it brings up our topic, which is... Is electric off-roading a thing? Mm, I would say electrified off-roading, if you want to go one step further. And uh, recently, there have been a batch of vehicles that have been announced or are currently out there that can go off-road and are either all-electric or they're electrified, meaning plug-in hybrids. So if you guys want to dip your toe in the electric off-roading world, uh, we are your guys because we have taken, I think, every current electric vehicle that's out there or semi-electric or plug-in hybrid or hybrid off-road. And in this podcast slash video, we're going to talk about what it's like to off-road the current crop of electric vehicles. You know, you even took a um, Tesla Model X off-road. Yes, yes. We've done the Model X. We did a Model Y in the snow. Yes. In deep snow. Uh, we've done Rivian, we've done, yeah, pretty much everything out there that's available we've taken off-road. Yeah, so we'll go through all of those and tell you how they work and what the difference is between taking an EV off-road versus taking a traditional non-electric vehicle off-road. And at the uh, end of this podcast, we'll talk about what's on the screen, which is this new crop of EVs that are coming that are, you know, off-roaders specifically. Uh, so before we get to that, can I do a rant? Yes, please. All right, I was watching uh, the latest Mr. Beast video. Have you seen that one? Mr. Bean? No, well, no, is Mr. it the Beast. one where he's driving a couch? No, not Mr. Bean. Oh. <laughs> not Ed China. Mr. Beast, who is the most popular YouTuber. And I, I don't like calling out other YouTube channels, so I won't, but I will call that one out because everybody knows Mr. Beast. Mm. But, but Nathan, since when has it become a thing on YouTube to destroy cars and take joy in it? Because his latest one, the thumbnail, is him shredding a Lamborghini. Well, that it hurts my soul. Yeah, it's it's hard to when you're a car guy and you, I think a real one, and you look at stuff like that and you're like, they're just blowing this up for fun. It it, it hurts. 
even people who are old Top Gear fans and they really couldn't stand the sight of a Morris getting crushed by a piano or something like that, I, I'm with you guys there. I totally don't see the the lure in it. Obviously, it was done for comedy points, but more importantly, it's done for points. It's done for people to watch because there's mm -hmm. a lot of people out there who love destruction porn. Yeah, uh, and it's it, to me as a as a died in the wood wool car guy, uh, I just think to myself. That Lamborghini could have had a life outside of a shredder, mm -hmm. uh, and then you know that was the big climax because they also took a tank and shot at another Lamborghini, which you know they didn't manage to hit. But that's that's another part of the video. But I was like watching this thing go down the shredder, and I was just I was just like in pain. And then at the end, like Mr. Beast does this thing where he says, "Oh, don't worry, it was decommissioned." What the hell does that mean? It was decommissioned. I think they pulled the engine out or something. Yeah, because I'm sure the shredder couldn't have shredded. Yeah, yeah, a big usually. Block. Yeah, usually you'll you'll put the engine will do something else when you're when you're taking down a car, crushing it or shredding it or whatnot. You usually pull the engine out. And I, I know you're doing it to get views. I know you're doing it to get clicks. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, there's another YouTube channel, something Diesel. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to call who now has uh, has wrecked my dream car, which is a G wagon, mm -hmm. a Hilux, and recently uh, we just bought one of these cars. Basically. Uh, demolished, I think, um, six Model Ts. Something like there aren't that. that many of those things left, dude. Yeah, I mean the number. I mean, granted, there were a lot at first, <laughs> but they're, they're fifteen million, right? Yeah, yeah, it was just a ridiculous amount. But you know, they're still they're they're, they're dwindling. They're all, they're old cars. They're over a hundred years hundred years old. I, 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 I kind of feel we've gotten to the point on YouTube where it's like, remember the old Roman Coliseum, mm -hmm. where like Caesar would be like, bring in the gladiators, right? Uh, bring in the tigers. Are you not entertained? I mean, that's kind of how I feel about this, right? It's 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 like let's just destroy. So look, here, here's why it especially hurts. I'll, I'll I'll share my pain with you, okay? Please. You know, we just bought a Model T. Yes. And I bought that Model T because when I got next to it and saw the patina on that vehicle, I thought to myself, this car has seen so much of life, right? It's 108 years old at this point, mm -hmm. right? And to me, that's as close to immortality as I'm going to get. Because mm. certainly I'm not going to live to be 108. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Right, right. Uh, and, and, you know, to be next to this car and to start thinking about the fact that, you know, somebody probably got married in it. Right, and I know it was covered in these cool old stickers. Somebody actually drove it up Pikes Peak. Imagine the adventure they had driving a Model T up the highest, uh, you know, mountainside, one of the highest yeah. mountains in Dri drivable mountainside. Yeah. Drive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, the life that that has seen, you know, the, the 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 love and the hate and the adventures it has had, and to take that vehicle and like another YouTuber did, roll it down a hill and it doesn't break, and then roll it down a bigger hill until it does break, and then take an excavator and kind of whack it around and throw it on the ground and that doesn't break, and then take the, 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 the excavator part and just smash the hell out of it. It's just, it's just painful. Yeah, yeah. Now That's enough of my rant. I, yeah, I agree. Too far. Now, now, many of you out there will probably say, but this is entertainment, and I, I'm, I totally get entertained? it. And then the other side of it is going to agree with Roman. And then there's guys like me who are like, all of y'all are wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you what you should be doing. You should be taking everybody and putting them into an arena. I'm talking Supercar Blondie and Whistling all, What's Their all Face. The YouTube, all the YouTubers, yeah. And let them battle it out with a baseball bat. I had one of the hardest swings in high school. I can nail a lot of people. Give us baseball bats. Let us fight it out. We'll win. No problems. No more of those horrible videos. Roman, you're welcome. <laughs> Let's let a 
Don't get out. Come on. Anyway, let's get on to. You know what would be a video, right? Mm. They, they take all the YouTubers, put them in the room with like a She-Rod, <laughs> $3 million She-Rod, give them a baseball bat and see who can do the most damage to it. But see, that's the thing. <laughs> is that, and once again, that's destruction porn. And that's what a lot of people are really into. And and I, I do think I truly do think it's regrettable because there's a lot of really cool cars out there. And there's people who will never be able to afford a half-decent car, much less these amazing cars. And then having somebody, you know, ha ha, this is so cool. Look at me. Boom, blow it up. It's, yeah, it's perform- not. You know, you remember, like, for a while there in California, it used to be we were street racing in Mexico. Oh, for crying out loud. And, and yeah. now the big excuse for, like, you know, basically just breaking, you know, the coolest possible vehicle you can to get clicks is performance testing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just, dude, it's just insulting. It's yeah. just, you know, I, I, I understand that all the 10-year-olds are out there like, wink, wink, it's a joke. He's not really performance testing. Yes, we understand he's not really performance testing. And yes, we understand it's not funny. It's just not a funny joke. Anyway. It's just silly. Anyway, all right, enough of my brand. Let's yeah. go talk about uh, off-roading electric cars. Um, and so let's start with uh, the one that you have the most experience. And this is, I think, one that people will... Appreciate because it's the best-selling plug-in hybrid in America. It is indeed. And that yeah. is, of course, the Wrangler uh, 4xe. Right. Right now, Jeep has two different 4xe's. They have the Wrangler and they have the Jeep Grand Cherokee. And they're soon, supposedly, they're supposed to have a bunch of other ones coming really soon. And essentially what a 4xe is, it's just a fancy way of saying it's a plug-in hybrid. But they're using a formula that's very similar between these two vehicles. It's a turbocharged four-cylinder, two-liter engine that sits up front and then right behind it is sandwiched an electric motor. There is a fairly large battery and then of course it has the ability to be plugged in and you can get, I believe the Jeep is around 20-ish miles uh, of all electric driving and then the, uh, sorry, the Wrangler and then the, uh, the, I think it's a little bit more, I think it's almost 30 with the um, the Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, 4xe. Anyway, I'm sorry. Both of these vehicles are very capable off-road. As a matter of fact, one of the things that was in mandate from Jeep was make sure that they are as capable as a regular V6 Jeep in the rough in terms of their abilities. And indeed, they are. We've taken them several times yes. off-road. So let's talk about that. So uh, we got a 4xE. Uh, and if, by the way, you notice my T-shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. AllTFL.com for those you, of you who are listening. Yeah, if you guys want to check out all of our coverage, because we do have a lot of outlets that we continually... Eight of them. Yes, eight YouTube channels. Damn. And, you know, to podcast. Anyway, if, if you don't want to miss out on the latest stuff and if you want to be, you know, into all the things that are automotive, right? Mm-hmm. And truckish <laughs> and EV ish and motorcyclish, just all tfl.com. But uh, let's go back to the 4xE. So, what we did, uh, this is a couple of years ago, was uh, you drove the 4xE up a very difficult uh, local uh, trail called Red Cone. That's right. And I did it in all electric, electric mode, mode and, until I no longer could. And so uh, the, the trail is probably, what did we, how long was it? It wasn't, it's not, it's not that, that long. long. It's like eight miles or something? Yeah, it's like, like eight 10. miles. And the Jeep had like, it was fully charged. So it had like 21, back then it was like yeah. 21 miles. Or it, it's like that, yeah. And I, I, if I recall right, you got maybe like four miles before you ran out of juice. Less than four, yeah. It was, it was, it was at one point it was, I went to and I thought, oh, okay, it's over. And then it went a little bit further. It actually went another mile. Um, and so that brings up one of the problems of electric vehicles off-road, and that is that they're heavy. 
extremely heavy and you're not running the same type of efficiency as you are on the, on the street, which is really obvious, but... That needs to be said. It needs to be said. Uh, the Jeep 4xe is much heavier than a Jeep, let's say, with a regular V6. Yeah, you've got two powertrains. you got an electric motor and a gas engine. Not to mention all the other stuff that you batteries. have on top of that. The batteries, all yeah. the wiring, all the other stuff that's needed in order to make this thing work. But it does work pretty well. Uh, for the most part, uh, they've had good success with them. Uh, not a ton of recalls. They haven't been exploding on the streets, really. So that's all good stuff. But the other side of it is they're more expensive as well. Um, Plug-in hybrids. Well, you got two powertrains. Exactly. Um, but then so you do have government incentives with the 4xe. You do indeed. As a matter of fact, with the 4xe, and this is just where we're starting, by the way. There's a lot of stuff we're going to cover. Uh, the 4xe also has, if you run it in a hybrid mode, it gets much better, much better mileage than your regular V6 would. So... Whereas, and I think you could average about 21 miles per gallon on a good day. Unless in, you deplete the battery. But but even if you deplete the battery, you could still run it in a fairly efficient, because there's always battery. It's always running and charging that battery. We'll never run it all the way out, just in terms of the vehicle being able to fully use the battery. But let's let's talk about off-road. Okay, we but the, we're, we're sticking with, this is mostly off-road stuff. So off-roading, yeah. one of the attributes to having an electric powertrain let's say if you're running all electric in the 4xe, is the fact that you have maximum torque at zero RPM. So when you approach a rock and you put your tire on it, you have all the torque that that vehicle will produce, all its max, right there at the very touch of your pedal. So you're able to go up and over it, as opposed to having to rev the engine up in order to get to that perfect RPM that you need to get up and over the rock. Eventually, that's something that a lot of us are going to have to get used to. Um, and, which is a good thing, I think. And the other advantage, I think, is uh, it's very quiet. I mean, oh, yeah. You're driving along, and you can hear the babbling brook. You can hear the birds. You can hear me farting, you know. I mean, <laughs> No, you can hear the small animals that I was crushing, you know, running away. I know you guys get mad when I say that, but that's actually the truth. I mean, there's you're running over everything. You can hear everything that you're doing. Really, the only sounds you're hearing are the tires squealing over things or the suspension working. It's a little unnerving at first, but it, after a while, it, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like you're more, oh, people are going to hate me saying saying this, but Connected it's true. Connected to nature. Yeah, in touch <laughs> with nature, right? Because you're kind of at one with the, the peaceful nature, and you're not like, you know, you don't have like the 392, right? Scaring bears and you know, all that and, other and stuff. And such, yeah. Uh, so I, I do like that part of it. Um, now, you touched upon something that I think is hugely important, and that is kind of torque distribution. And that kind of leads me to the next vehicle. Mm. Uh, and this is where I think sometimes uh, electric vehicles off-road aren't as good as traditional vehicles. And what I'm talking about is the Rivian. Mm. So, okay. So we took the Rivian uh, R1T off-road as well. Mm -hmm. um, actually, before we get to that, let me talk about the Hummer EV. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, strap in, guys, because yeah, that's <laughs> so we took we also and I'm doing that specifically because we also took that up uh, red cone, and uh, that and one did Moab not, and a few other yeah that one places. that one did not do so well. So um, there's a couple issues that we had with it. First and foremost was the weight, and the Hummer EV has air suspension. Yeah, which we needed to get over the gatekeeper, which is this big rock that you have to get over to get onto the trail, uh, and because it's so heavy. The uh, little pump, I'm calling it little because I think it is little, actually kind of gave up the ghost before we got to the gatekeeper. So, so it beached itself. Yeah, so you couldn't jack it up to its off-road height, let alone its extract height. 
And so what ended up happening is it kind of got high centered and then the wheels just kind of hanging off the ends because you do have enough height to get over it, but because the air suspension pump overheated, I think that's what happened, it did not extend the air suspension all the way down. So that was the very first problem we encountered. And this vehicle weighs well over 9,000 pounds. Ours was 9,400 with the spare tire. Yeah. Meaning that if you had somebody coming along in another Jeep saying, oh, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll pull you off that rock, this ain't going to happen. They're not pulling a 9,000 vehicle off a rock with their beach down. Well, we tried. We tried pulling it up uh, with the Bronco, uh, and all it did was pull the Bronco to itself instead of the Bronco. Because you can't get it uphill. It's like a minnow trying to pull a whole whale out. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. Um, uh, I think we tried the winch, and it was just dragging the <laughs> Bronco down. Uh, uh, we eventually did get it up and over the rock. And then the next problem that we came to was uh, Red Cone at the start is very steep. Mm -hmm. And this is something I... Never seen happen before, but it happened with the Hummer EV, and that is, it would instead of going up the hill, it would dig four holes because the weight would push it down as opposed to up. So it was so heavy that even though it had traction, the traction went to actually excavating the trail instead of moving the car up the trail. Actually, you, truck. If you wanted four perfect holes dug, that was the way to do it. One of the reasons, and many of you have mentioned that I'm sour about the Hummer, um, one of the reasons why is because I think it looks astonishing. It's a really cool-looking vehicle. It has amazing curb appeal, and the potential is there for this thing to climb the side of a building. However, in terms of the execution of that vehicle, it's only good for soft-roading um, because if something does go wrong with all of its gazillion gas, uh, gidget, gidgets and gasmos. Gizmos and, and, yeah, thank you. Wow, where did I go with that? Um, that vehicle, if you're soft-roading it, well, it's, then it's you're like, fine. It's a moonshot, right? And when you try to go to the moon, there are things that are going to go wrong. Oh, it took 13 times to go wrong yeah, and for, then, for Apollo. And the one thing they did do right, which was amazing, is Red Cone is a very tight trail, especially when you're in the trees, and it has four-wheel steering. Or Crabbo, too. Which, but the, it needs that because it's so damn wide. It is the widest vehicle you'll take on uh, Red Cone, bar none. But it makes it more maneuverable than, mm. like, that Jeep Wrangler you took up. It was amazing how, like, it could just squeeze, squeeze through the tightest of, like, you know, trees yeah. and not uh, get stuck. I, I was just, I was just, I was watching Tommy go up some of these, like, little serpentines, and it was so easy having him do that. And he said to me, he said, you know, another, any other vehicle that costs this much money without four-wheel steering, I would be terrified. And it was the four-wheel steering that actually made him not, you know, because the problem is you you scratch it, you rub it, you're like putting $10,000 worth of damage. Into yeah, it. yeah. And the pricing, that that's a whole different world. We, and we're not going to get into that because everything we're talking about is probably expensive because off-road made it expensive if you're buying anything new. But the other thing with the Hummer, uh, which is a bit of an issue, which uh, some of you may agree with, is the fact that you're in a vehicle that you cannot really see over the hood very well and in no, order the, the the sight lines are horrible yeah they're not very good but it does have cameras but everything everything is reliant on electronics well, and, and the cameras let's face it let's talk about that yeah know, cameras off-road are cool if you don't want to like fly over uh, the cliff on black bear but they're completely in some ways useless because they just completely flatten everything out. Yeah. So even though there's a rock there, right, you don't have a sense of just how big that rock is by looking at a camera. Yeah, unless it is somehow is able to show you a 3D image of it, you're not going to really know. And and it's really hard to judge things based on what they're currently doing with the cameras. In a couple of years, I'm sure that they'll have something that's far more you know high tech. But the other thing is, is that everything is reliant on electricity, meaning that if something goes wrong with the electricity, which happened to Roman in the middle of the street, then that car becomes a 9,400-pound paperweight. 
And it happened to me in uh, Moab too. Yeah, but at least in Moab, you were able to get it up and going again, and you we yeah, so, drive. So, so you bring up a really good point, Nathan, and that is the difference between um, electronic lockers, for lack of a better word, yeah. and regular lockers, right? Mechanical lockers. Now, uh, two vehicles that have mechanical lockers and uh, are available are the Hummer EV. It's got the rear, I think, is a mechanical locker. The front is an electronic yeah, locker. Yeah, electric cam. Uh, and the, uh, we'll get to this one in a while, too. The Lightning also has a traditional mechanical locker. And I'm going to kind of transition now quickly to the Rivian because the Rivian is a four-motor setup mm-hmm. where each motor basically spins each wheel. So you would think, let me take a step back. Let's say you have a G-Wagon, right, mm-hmm. and you have three lockers. You have a center locker. So what the center locker does is when you push that button, it takes the torque of the engine and splits it 50-50 between the front, front and, rear. and the rear. Now, that doesn't mean it splits it 50-50 from left to right side. Just half the power goes to the front, half the power goes to the rear. Now, if you lock that front locker, then all of a sudden, 50% of the power gets split to 25%, so each wheel is getting 25%. If you lock the rear locker, each wheel is getting 25% in the rear. So basically, each of the four wheels on the G-Wagon are spinning and getting 25% of the engine's torque. And they're spinning at the same rate. Too, right. by the way. That's the way they, uh, the locking axle works. And, yeah, and it's mechanical, so there's nothing else the vehicle can do. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now, electric vehicles get clever. Mm. And I think this is where it all starts to fall apart because there's a thing basically uh, called uh, uh, torque distribution by braking, right? And so here's what you have to keep in mind. Uh, If you have one wheel in the air Mm -hmm. and you have an open diff, which means that... um, the power or the torque goes to whatever wheel has the uh, least amount of traction, mm-hmm. right? So if, if you're a traditional vehicle and one, let's say the front passenger wheel's in the air and you've got the power going on the front wheels, that wheel with the in the air will start to spin. Mm-hmm. Now with torque braking, right, what'll happen is that the, the computer is smart enough to know that that wheel is spinning, so it'll break that wheel and it'll send power to the one that's on the ground that actually, actually ha- has, has traction and hopefully right. get you off. And this, this, this is what, unfortunately, is happening with the Rivian, right? Instead of designating 25% of the power to every wheel, the computer is trying to be clever and trying to figure out which wheel has traction. So you don't have this traditional, like, well, I'm going to dig four holes because the computer is saying, well, this wheel, like we did it in snow. That was a perfect example. Like, even though this wheel, um, you know, uh, should be getting power, uh, the computer thinks that it doesn't have power because it's on snow, because it's spinning easily. So it cuts power to that wheel and sends it to the other one. And the net effect of all that is you just don't have the ability to dig yourself out um, Traditional four-wheeling in a Jeep Wrangler with, once again, the same thing, four, three lockers, right? You just have power going everywhere. And I, in my experience, and I hope I'm not making this more complicated than it is, that is the, by far the best system where mm. there's no computer intervening whatsoever. And it's just sending 25% to each wheel, and then you just kind of figure it out from there. Right. Uh, the whole point of having um, a system that breaks the wheel that's spinning is really for those First of all, it's great for all-wheel drive vehicles. Uh, we've experienced that with almost every uh, off-roadish crossover. 
that's come along. Uh, if you wa- go to alltfl.com and if you watch some of the videos Tommy's done, well, where it's cheap, Nathan. But it's, it's no, there's more than Software that. Software it, it's, it's it's way more than just being cheap, though. First of all, you can't have a mechanical locker in an all-wheel drive vehicle and hope to get good on-road performance. It's just not going to happen. Um, what uh, you can, it, no, it's it's not. Name one. No, uh, I can name two. Name. Um, so when we bought our Defender, right, it had a mechanical locker. Yeah. And it did torque steer using that mechanical locker, and it was sold not as a mechanical locker. To get you um, unstuck, it was sold as a mechanical locker to get you around a curve better on dry or wet pavement. The Porsche uh, Cayenne does the exact same thing. They don't. They don't sell it as an off-road thing. They sell it as an on-road thing. Basically, as a form of uh, what's that called um, when you go around the corner? Uh, torque, torque vectoring. Torque and vectoring, torque vectoring is a, not a mechanical. It's a, a totally me- different setup. No, no, no. They're they're using a. Me- Whatever setup they're using can either be used to mechanically lock the power to go to both wheels, or it could be used as a torque vectoring system. But in the Defender and in the Porsche, even though they do work as lockers, they are using them to do better on-road performance. Okay. So uh, rather than going through the argument of whether or not you're using computers to actually make that locker engage in order to put the power to the wheel that actually has a higher percentage of grip, let's go on to a second part of that, which is 99% of the vehicles that you're going to see on the road that are all-wheel drive, they have the system that actually locks the wheel that's spinning if you're going through various types of terrain or if you're in snow. They're using the ABS sensor, right? Right, and the whole purpose of that is to provide power to the wheels, and it is a simpler system for that vehicle to figure out. But more importantly, it works pretty – I mean, I would say it works very well Well, for for people who are going through general – off-road situations, general, minor off-road situations. Uh, yeah, I mean, Land Rover pioneered that, right? Yep, so they did, way back in the LR2? Yeah, so they were the first to come up with that kind of uh, pioneering software, which allowed uh, the vehicle, without mechanical lockers, to be incredibly good off-road. Mm. Uh, so I completely agree with you, Nathan, but my point is that um, it's a lot cheaper to write code than it is to actually you know, put a piece of metal that does something into the car. Or truck. In addition, though, you have to look at the larger scope. For instance, Mazda is a very good example. Mazda has been building cars for a long time that have all-wheel drive, and Mazda, sure, they could, you know, tear their, you know, selves apart by trying to build on a mechanical locker or whatever. But there's absolutely no need for it. And if sure. they're looking for their return on investment, their cars have a really good, I think, one of the best all-wheel drive systems out there for a car in its class that works beautifully in light off-road situations. So there's no reason for them to have to go to that and, and have a bespoke system that may not work in everything. Their system works. Another one is Honda slash Acura, who has a super handling all-wheel drive system that uses torque vectoring in the rear. That system, which is partially mechanical, is, I think, brilliant. But some of these systems really should stay on, you know, loose gravel and snow and light off-roading. None of them are really built for boulder bashing, which is where we're going back to. And that is where the Rivian falls on its face because the Rivian, it's trying to figure things out when you're articulated. It's trying to figure things out when you're trying to get the traction to the wheel that you know as an off-roader, it should go to, and this vehicle is like, well, I think I might know more than you than this. And then they're kind of trying to figure it out. And then finally, after burning a lot of rubber, you finally figure it out. And that, I think, is the issue with Rivian. 
Yeah, and uh, here's an interesting question. So when Ford built the Lightning, and we're mm. kind of in the truck world right now, but we'll get back to cars, so yeah. don't get upset. Uh, when Ford built the Lightning, they chose to put, and Lightning, of course, is the F-150 that's electric. Mm -hmm. uh, we owned it. Uh, we, I took it off-road, uh, and it did not have enough ground clearance. We can talk about that as well. The one thing that scares me about taking electric cars off-road is, and this is what happened with the Model X, and same problem with the traction control, by the way, in the Model X, is that you don't know how much uh, underbody cladding it has. Oh, that's a, that's a whole thing in itself. So, Just slashing the battery could be a really big problem. Yeah, you kind of feel like you dropped this 9,500-pound Hummer EV on a pointy rock. Bad, you're going to burn down the forest because yeah, you're going to yeah. start a... A fire that's not going to be able to be put out. Anyway, um, so Ford chose to use a mechanical locker, rear locker, in the Lightning. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Because it's definitely more expensive. Why, why did Ford go to the trouble of actually oh, putting it's a It's not more expensive because that's something that's mass-produced with other Ford trucks that they use. The it's, whole point. it's more expensive than software. No, it's not. It's that, that rear end is also on other Ford F-150s, which is, by the way, the sure. most... I'm not it sure. is. It, it is the same rear end. <sighs> It is the same rear end it's that is. It's got independent in, suspension. The others don't. It, the, the, I'm talking about the pumpkin. I'm talking about what is actually right, in but there. I'm, in but the, I'm saying the rest of the trucks don't have independent suspension. So that axle, I think, is unique. Anyway, we well, don't the, know. The axle, the axle is unique. I'll, uh, yeah. Four-wheel independent suspension that's on the Ford. But under underneath the Ford, unlike the Rivian, is essentially one power that's but, going but Nathan, through. I don't want to argue about this. But like to, to copy software doesn't cost anything. To copy an, a, a, a mechanical locker always costs more money because you got to build it, right? Making a copy of a bit of software is free. Uh, so I think but it does cost more to do a mechanical locker. Each bit of software has to be tailor-made to the vehicle that is being, you know, it, it's it's like saying that everything goes with Apple, goes with HP. It, it's not going to work that way. You have to make it, you know, bespoke to whatever that is. Weights matter, you know, tires matter, all that stuff matters. So it's, even software is not free. But once again, we're getting into the weeds on this. Let's go back to the Ford F-150 off-road, which you've taken off-road, and we even took one and put off-road tires on it, or off-road-ish tires mm -hmm. on it, and it wasn't brilliant. And there were a couple of reasons. I think the four-wheel independent suspension did it no favors. It wasn't quite high enough. It and it's 10.3 10 inches of ground clearance, which for a full-size truck is not a lot. It's a lot for a Subaru. It's not a lot for a pickup. Yeah, especially how long. Think about the wheelbase and the length of those things. And also another thing, and to go right back to the Hummer, it's heavy. Yeah, I, so I took it up uh, uh, Deer uh, Deer Creek path. Yeah, up up in. Uh, Montezuma, and I, I got it. You know, I've been doing this set of videos over at TFL Off Road where I'm calling them uh, uh, Top Dog. I take the like the most off road worthy vehicles and I kind of compare them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I couldn't even get the Lightning to where I started doing those videos. And that's not a hard trail, that's maybe like a four out of ten, maybe even less than that. And I got to the bottom of the trail and I started hitting like pointy rocks. And I was like, I'm scraping the bottom of this truck and I don't know how much undercladding it has or to what extent, you know, it's, it's strong. And so I just backed off and went back down the hill. And the other thing is, um, when you're hitting the bottom of a vehicle, you just feel like you're doing damage. Even if it's a skid plate, it just it just feels like you're damaging something, even though maybe you're not. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's one of the things that really is kind of across the board. It's not kind of, it is across the board with everything that's electric right now that can go off-road and most likely in the near future. And that is, your battery pack is usually set at the lowest possible point of the car. Mm, in many point. cases, it is the car itself. It's the skateboard platform in some cases. Like the Silverado EV. Exactly. So those platforms mean that there is X amount of material, be it metal, plastic, and whatever, that's between that battery and sharp rocks that you're slamming the entire weight of the vehicle upon. 
And that's where off-roading with electrified vehicles and electric vehicles gets a little sketchy because we've seen, and I'm sure you have as well, videos where lithium-ion batteries catch fire and they can burn for a day or more and or reignite. And this is still new technology that we're kind of getting our heads around, and I'm sure it'll be better in the future. But for right now, I don't want a vehicle where I know I can burn down an entire forest and then burn it down again two days later because I cut it on a, bat, a battery on to a be, rock. To be fair, dude, I can hear the other people out there screaming, there are more car fires with internal combustion engines. There are indeed. But those car fires usually last, I don't know, maybe an hour at the most, uh, whereas in these can last a day or two and then come back. Cars have to be physically submerged in water more often than not in order not to burn when they have these types of batteries. Now listen, I am on the fence about everything from on-road and off-road with, with uh, electric vehicles, but when it comes to fire safety, it does make me a little bit nervous. And especially because I beat the crap out of vehicles. I have punctured skid plates. I have damaged frames. And we do, this is what we do for a living. So the reality is, is that I would be a little bit more nervous taking an all-electric vehicle over a rock that I damn well know could possibly pierce it. I would take my time. I would be a little terrified, and I might not even go over that obstacle. And that is where the argument, at least for electricity, maybe, starts to fall on its face. Maybe that's why the Hummer EV has an underbody camera. <laughs> well, that, and it has a lot of armor underneath. I mean, they, they, they took you through that whole briefing yeah. and everything else. It's It's... It's probably the safest out there because they damn well know that 9,000 plus pounds on top of a rock is not a great idea for something that has a battery. But let's talk about, I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out that is all electric, right? Yeah. The other one that we could talk about, which we haven't taken off-road, but it's coming soon. We're going to have it at the office soon, uh, is a Silverado EV. Yes, that's uh, right. And I actually asked the um, chief engineer, I asked her, did you consider ever putting the G80? So GM has this um, mechanical locker. Yep. Not electric. You can't. You can't like turn the it on. The G80 is a mechanical locker that's been around for a million years. Yeah, and basically, what happens is if one wheel spins, instead of like breaking that wheel, there's like it's almost like a Detroit locker, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a little mechanical locker clicks in, and then both wheels get power. So there's like a he second of hesitation, and it, a little bit of a spin, and, and then boom, boom, it kicks and, in. And you could certainly attach that to a dual motor. Uh, and dual motor means that the Silverado just has a motor in the front and a motor in the rear. Mm. So imagine you can have that attached to a G80 and you'd have a locker. Uh, and they haven't put that on uh, the Silverado. And I asked her, why not? And she kind of looked at me and she said, you know, the, the typical thing that engineers often say, and that is, you know, we're considering it. And no options are off the table. And I'm like, well, yeah, they are off the table because you didn't put it on there. <laughs> Well, but maybe there'll be a trail boss version. You know what I mean? That'll have it. Yeah, that's possible. Um, in addition to the fact that, you know, the G80 is normally living in a solid axle that goes in the back of most pickup trucks. Once again, it's the pumpkin, you know, so that's the one that's actually creating everything that is locking that rear end up. And it's proven technology. So would they do it? Once again, another vehicle that has four-wheel independent suspension. So maybe that's part of the thing that's a limiting factor. Or at the same time, maybe it's something simply where they're like, mm, we want to do new tech on this vehicle and have it proprietary just for this vehicle. That's entirely possible as well. We don't know yet, but we will know in the future how that vehicle performs because we are getting our hands on one here at the studio. Yeah, now let's go back to Rivian for a second. They're, and they're doing something interesting. And that is they're building out, well, they promised to build a lot more, but they're bu building out what they're calling their adventure network, right, mm -hmm. of chargers. Yes. So they're putting basically um, mainly at the trailhead level two chargers, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig when it comes oh, to, to EVs. I mean, I appreciate that they're there. 
But one of the issues, of course, with electric vehicles right now is the manufacturers have figured out that it's not as much about the vehicle as it is about the charging network. And today's news, of course, or this week's news proves that when Honda just announced that they're going to go with uh, the Tesla standard. NACS. North American yeah. charging standard, right? Uh, and, you know, the, the legacy manufacturers have figured out that people are really having a hard time uh, road tripping in EVs because the chargers are... You know, in bad location. We've done this video, so I don't. I don't need to. Yeah, but what but, you're going to is the next step from but, that. But the next is step going, is even trailheads. harder. Yeah. Right. So now, you now let's say you get to the trailhead with the Rivian, uh, and you want to go off roading. Um, God help you if you want to go overlanding because you won't be able to because you won't. But but you want to go off roading and you want to like top up uh, your. Uh, I don't know. I forget how many kilowatt hours the. Rivian R1T has, but it's like, I think it's like 130 or 140 ish. It's a lot of power. Mm -hmm. But on a level two charger, that's like, you know, filling up your gas tank with an eyedropper. It's just yeah. not, it's not going to do much unless you sit there all night. Now, if you, if, now, first of all, to be fair, yeah. if you get to, a, and Jeep is doing this as well, and they actually have it at almost every single one of their major trailheads, they have these partially solar powered uh, level two chargers. And Remember, level two chargers can also, just like um, fast chargers, they can charge lower, they can charge high, they're not necessarily going maximum. However, let's say you approach there and you're at 75% and you want to top off, you're going to probably have to hang out for a few hours in order to make a noticeable difference when you go to the, to the uh, trailhead. However, let's say you do the trailhead and you realize, geez, I have really run low on power. This is exactly what the Jeep guy told me. When you get off the trailhead and you're a little too low on power and you're a little concerned, at least you have the ability, even though it may take several hours, to plug in your vehicle so you can get the hell out of there. And that is really the whole point of having these trailhead chargers. And you will see more of these in the future. As a matter of fact, Honda, along with seven other automakers, has just announced that they're going to spend real money billions in order to completely revive and revamp the whole charging network. And that's including having charge areas that are covered and have bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is coming in the near future. Uh, I just heard this. But going back to what we're talking about. trailhead. This is just regular ones. Trailhead ones. Um, the, you'll, if you're lucky, you'll find a Jeep one, which has a large solar panel. So in case it's raining, you can stand under that. But otherwise, you're, you're pretty you, much stuck. You bring up a good point, Nathan. People out there might be thinking, well, why don't I just bring a solar panel with me and then recharge it? It would be a huge solar panel to make it work. Like the size of a football field. Yeah, and you'd have to have basically a, 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 a X amount of kilowatt hour, probably like a three kilowatt hour battery to, to run through it in order for that to charge your vehicle and the, it would take it would take a long time however i am curious to see if somebody decides to truly overland an actual all-electric vehicle and bring solar panels how long it would take them to do let's say a 1000 mile in and 1000 mile out trip that would be really cool so I, I i would like to do it myself but i think that it would take a month honestly um and i don't have that time so, we don't so, have that so time. manufacturers have deployed solar panels on some electric vehicles, mm -hmm. Leaf had had one little tiny one uh, in the uh, uh, spoiler. Uh, I believe the Fisker had one in the roof. Mm -hmm. But but both of those were used either to top off the 12 volt battery, right, or to like run a little fan to cool the car, to cool the car down. None of them are used to actually top off the big battery. There which, there are current companies that's including Fisker with their new vehicle, the new the the, the pair that's coming out, and I think even their their Ocean in Alaska. 
uh, where they will have an integrated solar panel that will be able to add X amount of miles per year to the vehicle. <laughs> per year? Because they, they, they can't really average it based on whether or not you're parking indoors or outdoors and all those other things. No, I know it's so, pretty funny because that's about how long it's going to take. Yeah, <laughs> but what, what it means is let's say you leave the car at the airport outdoors and you go and fly off for a week and you come back and you left your battery at, say, 60%. It might be at 65% by the time you come back. Is that a big deal? No, but that still gets you a couple extra miles out of that thing. And, and to me, that's worth it in itself. Uh, I mean, I, I can sit there and cry and say, oh, my God, it's only going to be a mile here and a mile there. But you know what? That is actually valuable over time. Now, going back to going off-road, if you were to, you know, pent all of your um, hopes on the idea of bringing some foldable solar panels that might charge your car, they won't. Um, you need a lot in order to charge a car off a solar panel to begin with. And unless the car comes with it, then you have to go through several steps in order to make that happen. And the amount of weight you're adding to the vehicle in order to drag that out with you wherever you're going means that you're actually going to lose more and more mileage getting out there. It's all about weight when it comes to electric vehicles. Yeah, and then I think this is where internal combustion cars have a huge advantage because you can bring a you know couple gallons of gas mm -hmm. uh, and you can go you know as long as you want really as much gas as you have uh, and then some people might be thinking you know you went up the red cone which is just basically driving up this mountain mm -hmm. how about when you went down how much power did you regen going down so that was a funny thing because you can't you can re you can get power back yes mm -hmm. however it's very difficult to gauge how much power you're actually getting back because here's where the problem lies. As you're heading downhill, you're still powering to get up and over rocks, right? So even though the vehicle itself, the motors are trying to suck back in electricity as you're going down, you're still using the gas engine to go up and over some of these rocks that you still have to go up and over. So it was really hard to judge how much I actually received. But by the time we were done with the trail, I think I was at about 10% hmm. of, the, of the battery's capacity. So, which, you know, that was from zero or, or zero as far as the vehicle is concerned. Remember, uh, all PHEVs usually have a little bit extra in store in order to keep the vehicle running right. Uh, so that way, you know, if you completely run a vehicle completely out of juice, you would have to completely rely on the gas engine and then you would lose certain fun. It, it could be a lot of problems. So anyway, uh, but the Jeep still had some power in it when I got down the hill. And then the other problem that EVs are going to encounter, and we saw this with, uh, I'll give you a, a pretty concrete example of this. We saw this with the Lightning. Uh, if you want to go off road, you're probably going to want, like, as the Brits say, knobbly tires. I don't know why they say knobbly. We say knobby. They say knobbly. Because they're Brits and they say things a funny way and they get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Why do you say knobbly? Knobby tires. If you, if, if you want, you know, aggressive off-road tires, it's the exact opposite of what you want for low rolling resistance rubber mm -hmm. for an EV. So, you know, the Ford Lightning has uh, an EPA range of, I believe, the one we had with the extended battery, 310 or 20 miles. I don't think we ever got that, even with no. the regular tires. No, and then we swapped out to, like, uh, let's say soft road tire. We didn't go full on, like, no, they, BFGs. They were, yeah, but they were they were BFGs, but they weren't the, the KO2s or right, anything they like that. KO2s. No, so they we, were uh, all trail, I think, or something like that. Yeah, much Trail less, terrain. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then uh, when we did that, we lost like 10% of its range, just like that. Yep. 10%. So now you're down. And, okay, well, let's, let's play this game, then we'll do it for real. So let's say you've got 300 miles of range, now you're down 30 miles, so mm -hmm. now you're at 270. And then we put a camper on it. Yeah, and that, that definitely killed it. Aerodynamically killed it. So we are down realistically to more like 230 miles of range. But the problem is 
even with the EPA cycle, you don't get 230 in yeah. Alaska when it's cold, <laughs> right? You, you probably more likely get 190 Yep. or just, just around 200. Uh, and so that's another kind of thing you have to think about when you're off-roading. Not only are you carrying more stuff because you're carrying recovery gear like the camper, but you're also putting on much more uh, aggressive tires, which immediately uh, also take down the amount of range that the vehicle has. It would be great, and I have a, I'm sure we're not that far away from developing this. If we could carry jerry cans that actually had electricity in them as opposed to we're gasoline. We're going to put a snorkel on it and fill it with batteries. Yeah, there <laughs> Just you for go. fun. Yeah. <laughs> not real. Um, but um, being able to, say, go off-road and have something like a you know, electric jerry can where you can plug it in. It's a one-time use thing. You flip a switch, and suddenly you have an additional, you know, Three, not even that, but let's say a hundred miles of range after using one of these jerry cans. That would be really awesome. Now there is something that kind of like that out there. Uh, the the Chinese make they make swappable batteries for cars and for motorcycles and the little mopeds as well. But that doesn't do a damn bit of good when you're in the trail because these pat these batteries weigh more than like a Honda Civic. So that's not going to do you any good. But perhaps there is something where you can get a modular battery system where you can replace maybe one of the little things. Who knows? So 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 I hate to do this, but I think it's true. I think all the advantages that EVs have, um, whether you're talking about like charging them up at home yep. or using them to drive around locally, mm -hmm. right? All that goes completely away when you go off-road, right? Now, at the charger at the trailhead, you don't have three-phase power, right. which you're never going to have because be, no one's going to run three-phase power out to a trailhead because there's nothing else out there. Uh, so, so as an off-roader, all of the stuff that makes electric vehicles really good in town becomes really bad out of town, unfortunately. Yes, I do have some news on that front, by the way, in terms of uh, having basically you know level three, if you want to call it three-phase or... Uh, fast charging uh, in the middle of nowhere. General Motors has been working on uh, having a, a hydrogen-powered large fuel cell that can power several vehicles. So basically, you're just plugging in a hydrogen tank in the middle of anywhere, and then you can plug these vehicles in and charge them quickly, and boom, you're off on, you know, to the races. Um, this is something that might be adopted for rural areas, and who knows, in the future, it may find its way to trailheads. But for you know, for what we're dealing with right now, no. And so, so a good example of that, right, mm -hmm. is the long way up. I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, series. Yes, it's, it's uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. As this was filmed a few years ago, though, and bikes are even more efficient now than they were then. To be fair, uh, as, as you and McGregor, right, and, and mm -hmm. Charlie, uh, I don't know. Last Sheen, yeah, no, it wasn't Sheen. Uh, Rucker. Was it was his best friend. Anyway, they, they, they rode an electric Harley from uh, Terra de Fuego mm -hmm. all the way up to L.A., uh, and they actually had level two charging stations installed along the way so they could charge along the way. But uh, if you kind of watched it between the lines, they also had a truck with a giant diesel generator mm -hmm. following them up because you, they couldn't, even on a motorcycle, they couldn't get enough juice quickly enough to make that trip doable without actually having a truck with a generator on yeah, it. Yeah, because it would, it would have taken them an extra like three weeks if had they not had that truck there. And yeah. so it could be diesel that powers it, or like Nathan said, it could be hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So you could have a fuel cell uh, that then converts that hydrogen into electricity. I think the same thing happens with... Uh, 
the Rivians and the electric truck on the uh, Rebel Rally, right? The the, the race that it's going to happen. I think it's happening soon, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it's this uh, it's this race that that that, that now is it's it's a navigation course actually. It's not but, a lightning race. But I think when Emmy did it, I think they did bring a vehicle with chargers. So there are solutions. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But and we're once again at the infancy of that. But going back to the uh, doability off road and the versatility off road. Absolutely right. We're not there yet. We're not even close. Anything that makes a vehicle capable uh, as a street vehicle uh, in terms of its ability to get a very far distance on a charge, it's exactly the opposite when you go off-road yeah, because you're, you're straining it constantly. And maybe that's why the Lightning only has about 10 inches of ground clearance because the more you lift it, the more aerodynamically bad it gets, right? The yeah. more wind resistance it generates. So if you keep it pretty low, it has a better aero profile. There's another way to look at it, too, and that's part of this, is that Ford does not recommend that you change the tires of the vehicle to something else, which is exactly what we did when we got ours, specifically because they had relatively low rolling resistance tires on their vehicle that were very, very well tested and could work in light snow and mud and, more importantly, rain. But uh, in our case, we went to the next level because we were going to Alaska. So... One of the first things that we normally tell you to change are your tires if you want to go off-road, especially if you have a crossover or something like that and you want better grip. That's how it works. This vehicle that's behind us, for those of you who are listening, this is a Mustang Mach-E that's been lifted, given more power, but more importantly, much more aggressive off-road tires. And that makes this thing an absolute monster on what are essentially hardcore trails that are specifically like, you know, for rally stages, which, is why, it's, yeah, yeah. which is why it's called the rally. Um, and that is an intriguing possibility in the future in terms of off-roading for those of you who like that, or perhaps a Baja run, right? I'm going to put another nail in this coffin, and I hate doing this because I love off-roading and I love electric vehicles, uh, but there's another one. Uh, you, you love the car, right? Of course you, you I watch do. that every year. We watch every it every year. year. And, of course, Audi has a hybrid. Well, yeah, they have the e-tron, yeah. Right, that they race, mm -hmm. which is basically um, a battery-powered vehicle that has an onboard generator. Which a range is, extender. No, it's a generator. <laughs> it's, it's a, well, that's what they, they call it, a range extender. I mean, that is the, right, that's, what they that's call, verbiage. But, but it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a generator. I'll tell you why. Because uh, I was reading an article about that. So I forget what size motor it is. like a 2-liter or 3-liter or something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so so the, the car is powered by an electric battery, and then the motor um, drives the wheels, and then the engine, the gasoline-powered engine, generates electricity to power the battery. Yeah. Uh, but... The irony that, that, that Audi doesn't want to talk about is that they actually use more fuel <laughs> to race a segment than you would if you just had that electric, if you didn't have the electric battery, if you didn't have the motor, and if you just had the engine powering the wheels. Mm, yeah. Um, Audi is trying to prove technology for the future. And by the way, that vehicle, which cool. it did not win, but it did win some stages and its trap speeds are some of the fastest in history. So it is a very quick potential vehicle. But for the moment, they are running into the issue that you have to run that engine at high revolutions in order to ch charge the batteries quick enough to have them provide enough power to the wheels to maintain those yeah, high you speeds. You can't get past physics, right? You're carrying around all that. You're carrying around two powertrains, and so you're going to have to use more fuel because the car weighs more. It's just yeah. that simple. Weight is the enemy when it comes to yeah. that type of – well, any type of racing, really. So – Going back to other vehicles, and let's let's because we're going to have to start, uh, you know, cooling this down now. Uh, the whole bunch of vehicles are coming out that yeah, are all let's electric. Go, let's go through them. 
and that are uh, either all electric or that are uh, that are electrically assisted, meaning PHEVs, that are coming in the very near future or right now available that um, are off-road capable according to their manufacturer. So let's start with Jeep because that's the easiest one. And uh, we, you, we've covered it ad nauseum, but it's also a cool-looking vehicle, and that's the uh, Recon, right? Yeah. So hopefully in the next year we'll learn more about it. It's well, we should see it. It's supposed to go into production actually relatively soon, uh, within a year. So we've got a bunch of auto shows coming. Mm -hmm. We've got Detroit coming next week. LA's coming. LA's coming. So I'm hoping, and then Chicago, of course, and then CES, and then SEMA. So it's some of those, I hope it's going gonna, it's gonna to pop out. They already have an electric uh, vehicle in Europe. Uh, called the Avenger, but it's a front-wheel drive Jeep. It currently it is, yes. And it was never really meant to, to hardcore off-road, although they did make the suspension a little bit beefier than your average one. Uh, it won a bunch of awards. Uh, Europeans love this thing, by the way, and it's it runs well, but there is an all-wheel drive version that's supposed to be in, in the works, and it might make it over to this side of the pond. Uh, we'll see what happens. That's a whole Stellantis thing. We're not going to get into the whole Stellantis thing right now, but we are going to say that 4xE, which is the other component of Jeep's electrification, is going to be happening with a lot of their vehicles in the near future. Everything from the Wagoneer, uh, possibly the Grand Wagoneer, where we're supposed to be seeing PHEV versions of that. Also, over in Europe right now, the Compass and the Renegade have uh, PHEV versions, and we may be seeing versions of those soon as well. So a lot of stuff coming in from Jeep. They do sell the most popular plug-in hybrid in the United States, and that is the Wrangler. More people buy that than any other plug-in hybrid. All right, so the, the, the one brand that is new that has me the most excited about off-roading is Scout. Mm-hmm. So Volkswagen uh, has announced that they're going to, they, they bought the Scout name, International yep. Harvester Scout name, and they're coming up with a the Only the Scout name, not the actual inter right, right. International Harvester. Harvard. Yeah, that they, has not been purchased. Yeah, they bought that from Harvester, I guess. Yes. Or Stellantis, because Stellantis owns Harvester. It, it's a long, it's, it's a long, long drawn anyway, out Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, the Scout is coming. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a Bronco slash Wrangler competitor, and it's going to be an EV. Yeah, all electric. And they're talking about different types of Scout as well, not just a crossover slash SUV, but also a pickup truck and some other things too. Right now, Volkswagen slash Scout is working on finding a factory in the United States where they're going to be building these things so they'll be U.S. built, which means one of the most important things to some of you guys, the fact that you'll be able to be eligible for a federal tax credit. Um, that's, by the way, if you buy a vehicle that has not been built in the United States, you can't get that unless you lease the vehicle. And even if you lease it, it's not as beefy as the federal tax credit for buying it. Now, uh, Scout uh, is about a year off before they show an actual rolling version. However, we did get to go behind the scenes and see some of the stuff they're working on. Can't tell you much about it, but I can tell you that they are well into the stages of testing. So I can't it, wait. Yeah, it's it's going to be pretty exciting to see what they do, and hopefully they'll be competitive right out of the box. I think they will be. Uh, which, which makes you wonder, when will actually Wrangler and Bronco have a full-on electric version? Well, yeah, that, I mean, the Wranglers introduced right. They introduced the uh, uh, the magnetos. Magnetos, yeah. But those those were test. Basically, those were test beds for us to kind of sample and play with. And they had manual transmissions and on an electric vehicle. On an electric vehicle, yeah. they're super torquey and and fun, but at the same time, not very practical. So, will we see something like that in the future? They announced that they're going to be building something. Stellantis themselves have in, has introduced one, two, seven or no six different platforms that they'll be using 
for everything from pickup trucks all the way down to your smallest cars, and they're all electric. And so we should be seeing those in the near future, and also range-extending vehicles as well. But they've been very tight-lipped about it, and we honestly do not know much. Really, the only thing right now that Stellantis has, other than the Jeep stuff, is the Dodge Hornet, which, yeah. yeah. It's not okay. electric. Yeah. Uh, actually, it is a hybrid, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the, it's not off roady No, it's not off roady That's a whole other yeah. Watch that video. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the, the other brand, before we get to the one that I'm sure you want to talk about, which is the Mercedes, but the other brand uh, that potentially uh, has committed to a much longer range plug-in hybrid is uh, Range Rover. Mm-hmm. So there's supposed to be a Range Rover slash Land Rover coming that's going to have 60 miles of all-electric range. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be a Defender or if it's going to be a Range Rover. I forget, uh, but uh, it's already delayed. They're having, I think, they're having a hard time actually getting that out the door because that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to put together, right? Because to get 60 miles of range in a plug-in hybrid, you need a beefy battery. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm predicting it's going to be like a 50 kilowatt hour battery, and suddenly that's the size of some batteries. That's the size of, of like the Mini E. The, yeah, the, the exactly. SE, the electric Mini. That's bigger than the electric Mini. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's bigger than some of the Nissan Leaf batteries that have been used. So um, weight's going to be an issue once again, and we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, other vehicles on the list, uh, aside from Mercedes, which we'll get to in a second, Ford. So what we're looking at here, for those of you who are not able to watch this, is the Ford Mustang Mach-E Rally. And I'm really pleased with what Ford decided to do because I utterly could not stand the fact that they were calling the original Mach-E an SUV or a crossover because it wasn't. It had like six inches of ground clearance. Essentially, it was an electric wagon. Uh, It was not off-roady. This is off-roady. This is something that has reinforced components on it to handle off-road situations. More importantly, they, it's more they, powerful than they, your regular Mach-E. Are they going to build it, or is it just a concept? Well, that's the thing, is that it, they're, they're testing consumer reaction right now. For and concept. It, so, but it's, I think it's one step above that, because a lot of the components, I think, are something that they can use right off the bat. Because remember, what we're looking at here is the future of Mustang. Whether we like it or not, Ford's committing to all electric in the next you know decade. Would, would, would you buy that? No. But I... <laughs> I, I wouldn't buy this in particular. Although I, like I, it. I think it. it's the best looking Mach-E uh, that's out there. I agree. I'm with you, dude. I love um, that. But you and I both don't fit very well in a Mach-E. And, you know, there's a few things that just, you know. Uh, so if they could do this type of thing to something other than this, the future, then maybe. Um, but, yeah, I, that's the only reason I wouldn't do it. It's just I don't fit very well. But uh, going back to the vehicle and the idea behind it, really, it's a rally car that's all electric. I would love to see this compete because... If you think about what the potential is for an electric vehicle and if they can manage to truly make the battery swappable, which is the only way it would work, then you could, in theory, put something like this on the WRC circuit or a similar type of circuit and have it be competitive. And that would be cool. Yeah, there is an all-electric off-road. Um, I don't know how, how Oh, Extreme E? Yeah. yeah, that's I follow that. Do you? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I, a, I think... I think uh, we have three articles on it on TFL Off-Road. Doesn't, didn't one of the Formula One drivers... Rick, uh, there's a couple. That, that actually own teams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewis Hamilton owns, owns the, the team. team. Okay. And also uh, uh, Hulkenberg, I think, owns the team. And uh, yeah, yes. there's a couple guys out there. And uh, Carlos... No, no, not... Yeah, Sainz raced it last year. Uh, there's a bunch of names that are attached to it. They go all over the world. They try to bring... Um, Kimi Räikkönen, I think, owns a team. Kimi might. Yeah, uh, yeah. If so, then that's the hey, party let us, team. Let us, know. Yeah, let us know in the comments. That's the team you want to be on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lampshades and uh, so, so I think I think the two that we're the most excited about um, 
Uh, I think both you and I are excited about the upcoming baby G-Wagon. Yeah. Mercedes has announced that there is going to be an electric baby G-Wagon. Yep. And there's going to be an electric G-Wagon, too. But the baby G-Wagon is going to be hopefully more affordable. And they will be sending it to the United States. That's that's really the big part of that, which is great. That means we're going to finally get one. And here's where it gets tantalizing. The possibility of them running some of their newer powertrains that are all electric that they're just starting to play with right now, meaning it could be a much more lightweight vehicle than a lot of regular um, EVs that are out there now. We're talking about a motor that is essentially the size of a medium pizza dish uh, that can put out up to 500 horsepower, and then they have lighter architecture batteries that they're producing soon, and they will be using less precious materials and all this other stuff. So that's great. But to me, the most important part is capability off-road. I believe that Mercedes-Benz would not build something they call a G-Wagon if it weren't very capable off-road, and that makes me very excited. Yeah, it'll be nice to have them put something, because they've got really good electric cars. They've just unfortunately put them into a design that looks like a bar of soap. And they're not, their range is still not competitive in my mind. It's just just a hair under being really competitive. So it'll be cool to see it in a, like a, a, a square, boxy, more, you know, square jawed, rugged off-roader. And the last one uh, that we should talk about is the FJ, because Toyota has unveiled and shown an all-electric FJ, which would also be cool. Yeah, um, I think there was a couple different cruiser names that were attached to it. But um, essentially what we're talking about here is when Akio Toyota went and a couple years back showed a whole line of electric vehicles, this was featured in there. And the cool thing is the design language they used with this vehicle went directly to the new uh, Land Cruiser. Now, by the way, all Land Cruisers that are coming out, they're going to be electrified because they're all hybrids. As a matter of fact, everything that Toyota's building in the upcoming future that's off-road capable will be electrified in one way or another. Tacoma? Yeah. Forerunner? Yeah. 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 A Land Cruiser? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Sequoia Tundra already? already? Already there. I'm sorry? Tundra already I there. I thought you said Sentra, and I was going to no, laugh at no, you. No, no, Tundra. Uh, Tundra, yes. So, um, yes, and Toyota is the pioneer, really, of just mass producing and making hybridization a very popular thing. And they're doing it now on pretty much everything that can go off-road. Hey, hey here's one for Toyota for free. Mm. Off-road focus, Prius. <laughs> Off-road focused Prius. Prius. Okay, you got me. You got me confused because I thought you were saying because they made it sporty, right? Now mm. make it off-roady Toyota. Well, why not make it do what they <laughs> yeah, Ford exactly did. yeah do, do that. exactly what Ford did and yeah. make a rally uh, Prius uh, Prime and yeah. see what happens. Um, but anyway, so uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And other uh, automakers are following suit. We're not going into the politics and all the other stuff of what's going to happen in 2030 or 2035 with electrification, but we do know that Toyota is still sticking by their guns, and they're still building a ton of hybrid vehicles, and they're going to do that at least for the immediate future. So we're going to keep an eye on that. But in addition, this um, little baby G-Wagon, the upcoming uh, Recon, um, other vehicles that are rumored to come out in the near future are looking like they could take on off-road hardcore. Question, of course, is how much range will they have once they hit off-road, like real off-roading? So that's the part that we get to experiment with in the near future. So I want you to stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's certainly uh, open or green fields right now. If any manufacturer, I don't see like the Chinese jumping in. Obviously, the Chinese are building a 
boatload of electric vehicles, but I, I haven't seen any off-roaders per se. Yeah, they, they, they built a few. Do they? Yeah, 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 sure. The, but they're not serious off-roaders. They're no. like light off-roaders. So, um, you know, the, obviously the uh, Chinese have bought a number of Western companies, including Lotus, so they don't have an off-roader, at least the brands that I know. Uh, Lotus just has a crossover. Uh, and then, of course, Volvo, which is also owned by the Chinese, but they do have a, that XC40. Is that the one? Is it off-roady at all? Oh, you mean the EX30, the, the little X30, guy? Yeah, the little guy, yeah. yeah sorry. Nah, that's, none of them are really. However... Uh, Tommy did take, and you can go to altfl.com uh, and find it. Uh, Tommy did take an XC40 and um, brought it to our off-road course at our ranch, and it did really well. And it's worth watching because he did exploit some of the positives of having electricity off-road, which is, you know, torque, and in this case, pretty decent ground clearance. Um, but going back to the EX30, uh, no, it's not really an off-road. It, it's, it's a soft rotor at best, and it's really just it's their least expensive you know, entry, and that's the whole point behind it. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of covering all the stuff that's coming. Mm -hmm. Which one are you the most excited by? Uh, I, I still think that the, the Recon is just, I, I like the way it looks and the fact that it does a lot of the same things that the uh, Wrangler can do. You know, it can move top panels and doors and stuff you can yank off. That's kind of cool. Um, but of course the baby G wagon is just like, I'm really curious to see what that's going to be all about. So yeah. those two kind of ways. Yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of anxious about the scout because it's a whole all electric brand that's yes. going to be off-roady, which yeah, is unique. So and I, it's going to be built right here in America. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for watching us as always. Be sure to check out, uh, alltfl.com if you want to stay up to date with the latest and greatest uh, news out there. And, uh, we shall see you next time. Nathan, what are you up to next week? I'm going over to Honda to look at a, a new Honda electric vehicle, speaking of electric vehicles, and an updated vehicle, and I'm going to be looking at their museum, which has just opened, or is just in the process of opening, and we're going to get to check out some cars up close and personal. And then, of course, Andre is going to the uh, Detroit Auto Show, yes. uh, where the new F-150, I believe, is going to be... Uh Unmailed? Yeah, that that's is a rumor. Yep, that's a rumor. Yeah, in addition, there's other stuff going on there as well, so we're going to be keeping a close eye on that. And yeah, in the very near future, we've got SEMA coming up, we've got the LA Auto Show coming up, all of these things back to back. So stay tuned for that. See you guys next time. Ciao. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.